Welcome to Mind Your Works Unscripted, a series for candid discussions with less preparation and more conversation. I'm Jose Espinoza, and I'm here as always with Nicholas Bremner. And today we're going to be talking about personality models. My third favorite topic. <laughs> Wait, what are your first two favorite topics? I don't know. I just thought that would sound good. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm moderately interested in personality. So I, I thought I'd, I'd pick this one today because in our, in our episode on personality, we covered personality in general, but we really just kind of stuck to one model. We talked about mm-hmm. um, the Hexaco model, which is kind of like a, an innovation or expansion of the big five, Yeah. which if, if you listen to our episode, it was, uh, you could abbreviate it as canoe if you're in Canada or ocean if you're like everyone else, which is conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience, and extroversion. I just wanted I just wanted to jump in and say I'm gonna plug our own episodes. I think if if you're if you want to know more about that, you should go listen to our two part series on that because I think we propose really maybe not succinctly since it's two parts, but I think we make a good case as to why that model is so popular and how and why it's so well supported by research and why it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the reason why I want to talk about the other models today and and maybe more generally, like why do we use personality, is because. You know, it's, it's it's important to know why the big five is so popular, why other models of personality are so popular, why like what we can use them for, what we shouldn't use them for, um, and often do. <coughs> MBTI, and uh, that was that was that was an IS psychology joke to the max. <laughs> but no, generally, I just wanted to talk about the different models. I mean, there's so many out there. I've seen other models of personality used in the work environment, maybe when they shouldn't be used, and I don't know. Mm. I think there's obviously way more research we have to do on this, but you know, I was kind of poking around for other models. I mean, maybe maybe we can talk about the MBTI first, the the Myers Briggs type inventory. This is probably, I'd actually say it's more popular than the Big Five is, at least in terms of pop psychology. It is really really well known. I mean, people put it on like their their profiles for like dating websites and stuff. It's really popular popular in the workplace. It's used for like coaching. Some some companies use it for selection. And in the, the IOSite community, if you're outside of that community, you may not know this, but it's, it's not a valid tool for selection. And there's a variety of reasons for that we can, we can talk about, but it's so popular. Um, so I kind of want to talk about maybe, maybe to start why this model is so popular and how we can make it less popular. <laughs> okay, so, so first of all, I think you bring up a really good point that it's really popular and why is that the case for us as scientists it's hard to comprehend and i've had discussions about this a lot um particularly one of our our colleagues uh, kabir daljeet who is really interested in personality and he works in research in that area and this is not a new conclusion but we often talk about how the interesting thing about the mbti is that it doesn't just tell you whether you're high on a single trait right you're not just high on conscientiousness you're not just high on openness to experience you are a combination of a, of a bunch of different traits. And then it tells you kind of in this grid where you fall on a continuum of all those different interactions, all those different combinations. And I think that's what gets people because that reads much more like a horoscope. It reads much more about a totalitarian kind of a, a composite of what you're like because it can be really hard to, to interpret your individual scores. And I've done this before where I have friends who are interested in finding out more about their personality. And I say, okay, go on and, and, and do the hexaco or do this big five measure. And then I'll sit down with you and I'll tell you about, well, here's what your results mean. Here's what we know about these different traits and how being high on one trait usually means you behave in a certain way or, or being low on it means this. The MBTI has this really nice built-in 
kind of formula and report where it tells you exactly how all of these different things combine. You don't have to do this strange combining yourself if you're not familiar really with the model. Yeah, the major advantage is that it's it's very intuitive and simple. Um, but maybe we should back up and, and say a little bit about what's problematic about it because I I admit that I'm just kind of you know putting it down without explaining why. So as a test and as a as a model of personality, it kind of falls victim to a few issues. Um, one being that it forces dichotomies that don't actually exist. So for instance, I'm not, I don't remember, I don't remember, I haven't memorized all of the um, the different types, but like I took it way back. I'm an, I'm an INTJ, which means I'm introverted, tend to draw patterns and associations. That's the intuition part, I think. Thinking is using your brain or something. And then J is like, uh, judging your, I think you're, you're evaluating things. Um, and, and, and all this is like kind of in, in contrast to someone who uses, um, more, uh, who's kind of more emotional, who is more, um, kind of in the moment. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but basically it creates dichotomies uh, in these different traits. And in reality, personality is a continuum. It's not a dichotomy. So for instance, someone is not just an introvert or an extrovert. In reality, most people are, I think, in the middle. As another example, it's I think it's thinking versus feeling is another dimension of the MBTI. Everyone thinks and feels, um, and and someone is is likely in the middle. Maybe you're trending towards one or the other. But saying that someone falls into one discrete category is just categorically false. And, and I think that's the major problem with a lot of these other tests that are less supported by research that they tend to be about types, right? Like the, the MBTI is the Myers-Briggs type. It puts you in a category. And even though that makes it really easy for you to think of yourself that way, it's not a, a good place to start from in terms of discussions of the broad range of behaviors that people engage in, right? That's why the, the trait models tend to work a little bit better because I can say you're on a broad range of conscientiousness without talking about the other ones. That That is a part that is missing for sure. But I can recognize and we can talk about how this is a tendency, right? Whereas a type kind of tends to feel like it's boxing you in. This is what you are. And everything else kind of stems from that, right? I was going to say another issue is that in in the sciences, we use something called test retest reliability to determine if a test provides reliable results. Personality, which is, you know, relatively stable. We've talked about this before. It, It shouldn't change dramatically over time. With the MBTI, it has low test retest reliability. So if you if you take the MBTI this year and then you take it 2 years from now, your results are going to change. Um and this has been found for for most people and and, and it's like what that says is that this is not asking questions that really tap into stable traits. It it fluctuates widely and that's, you know, a fundamental issue with it. How can you trust something that changes over time that isn't supposed to change over time to that degree? Yes, absolutely. And I think the the that is probably the the underlying problem um, for the MBTI. But I think it's probably an issue for a lot of these other models. There's another model that's really popular. It's the true colors model. That has a similar set of issues. Again, it puts you in a type. It says your temperament in terms of your personality is one of these colors. And I'm going to get this wrong because I don't remember how many colors there are. But I believe there's like orange, blue, uh, yellow, I think. And basically, like you, you can imagine that each of those colors says, well, if you're orange, you tend to be like a person who's interested in, in action and excitement and you're fiery and that kind of thing. And, and again, that's really easy for people to think about in a broad sense, but it might not be very useful when we decide to look at things like, well, how reliable is this thing over time? Because people fluctuate when you look at it from that perspective. I think this kind of highlights um, a fundamental challenge of 
personality science though is that you know one thing that this this true colors model and the MBTI have in common is that they're types, right? They these these personality models I think are are so intuitive and easy to understand because they play into our heuristics as individuals. So heuristics being like mental shortcuts we use to kind of categorize people or or, or things. And um, I mean, if you if you think about your friends, I could immediately pick out friends of mine who would be like an orange personality type. And it's possible that certain characteristics will co-vary like that, but people are not one-dimensional types, you know, but we use these mental shortcuts because it's a lot easier to kind of process and understand who someone is to kind of define their identity because we don't have the the mental bandwidth to say, oh, my friend Jose, he's, um, yeah, he's about a 4.5 on conscientiousness, maybe a 2.3 on eroticism. It's like, that's too much data to take in at once. And so it's much easier to typify people. And I think that's why these these models are so popular is because they're easy to process, even though they're inaccurate. And, and, I, and I do want to transition to this idea of what happens when we talk about selection, because I do want to say that that seems to be a pro of typologies that people do like that are that are useful in the workplace. One thing that I've heard from colleagues who have engaged in things like coaching is that, yes, the MBTI might not be very valid in terms of from a scientific perspective, but they have made the argument that in, from a coaching perspective, it allows people at least to try introspection. Like it's a good place for me to start the conversation with this person about the kinds of tendencies that they might have. So then they can consider how they're going to develop and improve themselves. Even if from a very scientific point of view, they're not really that valuable for predicting things. On the other hand, I think you're completely right. If we're talking about something like selecting people for particular positions, we want to make sure we have the kinds of traits that are, are really highly valid in predicting the kinds of outcomes we care about. Yeah, I mean, for selection, I think having an analytical approach where you're taking into account as many factors as possible is the way to go. Your your goal there is accuracy. When it comes to coaching, I think that you can sacrifice a little bit of that. I, would, I wouldn't say sacrifice accuracy. I would just say you wouldn't have to go as deep in terms of, uh, you know, facets or like, you know, sub-traits of traits. I, I've used the MBTI before for coaching, uh, back in the day when I was a consultant, um, like an external consultant for, for a small consulting firm, it, it it helps start conversations. But again, if you are using a test that doesn't measure something accurately, no matter what it is, I mean, your conversation might end up on the wrong foot. You might end up talking about the wrong thing. If it doesn't provide you that something, if it doesn't provide you something that's accurate, um, then your conversation could be completely off base in the first place. So, I mean, I, I would caution against that even still. I mean, why not use a big five base test for coaching? You know, it, if explained properly, it can still be a very useful tool. Yeah. So, so your takeaway would be to say, hey, if, if you have the option at all to avoid something that is not scientifically supported, you would say go for something that maybe is a little more difficult to explain. But at least when you do get to the point where you can discuss what this means for the person from a development perspective, et cetera you're going to be talking about the right things, right? Rather than choosing something that's easier to interpret, but maybe is not necessarily going to provide as much value. Right. I mean, yeah, if when it comes to being in a work environment, whether it's for selection or for coaching or for development or whatever purpose, take it seriously, put in the effort because personality is fun and all. And I, maybe I'll go take a test after this and figure out what Harry Potter character I am or what Disney princess I am. But when it comes to work, it's worth putting in the effort to actually understand the many facets of your personality and the facets of, of the people who work around you. I just think that we should take personality more seriously. And it, it's unfortunate that there are so many tests out there that purport to tell you what type you are 
and really gloss over so many of the important aspects of personality. My, my takeaway would be, if you are being sold a new model of personality to use uh, in selection or in coaching, be really, really wary and, and do your homework in terms of understanding what exactly is supposed to be novel or, or particularly unique about that model of personality. We have very good research that supports a couple of models. And if you're going to extend out from beyond that, you should really know why you're doing that. And the other thing that should not be forgotten about something like the Hexaco or the Big Five is that they're free. Uh, there are lots of scales that assess these that are well-validated, that are really strong in terms of test retest reliability that you can actually get and use in your context without doing anything but actually sourcing and providing a, a citation to the researchers who developed it. Yes, sir. Should we cap it there? I think so. Thank you so much for listening. Like we said uh, before, Mind Your Works Unscripted is kind of a new thing we're trying where we take an opportunity to just discuss something off the cuff without spending a lot of time doing preparation for it. Hopefully what we can get from this is that we're going to be starting more of a conversation with you, the audience. Yeah. And, and if you want to engage in the conversation, please reach out to us at um, mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet at mindyourwork.io. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. Okay, let's stop it.